Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm Serena. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. Today in Every Rom-Com, we'll begin our travel series with a trip to Jamaica. We'll discuss age gap relationships between older women and younger men. And we'll talk about the influential work of Terry McMillan, Angela Bassett, and more as we discuss the 1998 romance, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. And hi, Serena. We've got a new guest host today on Every Rom-Com. I'm very excited. Her name is Serena Young, and I chose her to be on the show because she is very smart, funny. I grew up with her. We talked a lot about movies. Well, we sort of grew up together. We had yeah. some of our teenage years together. And yeah. yeah, I just thought she'd be a great addition to the show. And Serena, tell us a little bit about yourself and like why you decided to come on the show. Oh, thanks, Shen. Um, Well, I live on a 40-foot sailboat in the Virgin Islands. I hold a 50-ton captain's license, but mostly I do crewing down here. And I'm mostly in the tourism industry. And tourism has been affected pretty pretty badly with COVID. So now I do a lot of detailing work on boats. Um, the marine industry is a really male-dominated industry. So I was really excited to do this show because it gave me an opportunity to talk to other women and do kind of a more women-focused um, discussions. And basically anything I can do sitting in my underwear, I'm I'm all for so. (laughs) (laughs) Holy smokes! You're on a boat right now. I am on a boat right now. Yes, in the in the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, that's wild and awesome. Now, how do you go from our small town to living on a boat in the Caribbean? Well, it was a series of events, but actually right before I moved down here, I'd been in the tourism industry. I was I was actually in the ski industry before this. Okay. Um, so I was kind of used to that sort of seasonal industry. And I started talking to a lot of different people that traveled during their off seasons. And a lot of people talked about working in the Caribbean, working on boats, working in tourism. And I eventually just made my way down here and I really liked it. And I ended up staying and then I just got really involved in the marine industry. That mm. is incredible. How long have you been down there? How many years? Uh, seven years now. Woo! Nice. Yeah, a long time. Well, I'm really glad you're joining us today. I think you're going to like be able to give a lot of perspective on this movie like from the like people who are actually living on these islands instead of visiting these islands. And yeah. I mean, I haven't even visited the island, so... <laughs> Well, they're all very different. So there, there's similarities, but they are very different. So um, yeah. yeah, keep that in mind. Oh, definitely. Okay, so we'll definitely get to asking Serena some questions about her like island life. I think before you've, you've referred to yourself as kind of a mermaid too. Is that right? Like- yeah, I'm definitely a mermaid. As I'm getting older, I start referring to myself as a sea hag. So like that's where that's where I'm going. I went from like mermaid, like taking all these like beautiful pictures, and now I feel like I'm a little like bitter of the salt has gotten to me. <laughs> I'm definitely turning into a sea hag, but that's cool. I'm I'm okay with it. Well, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, do you get sick of this li- kind of way of life? Like it does. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe it. 
you know, someone someone gave me advice a long time ago, and they said, a seawater life is a hard life. And I was like, oh, mm. what are you talking about? It's beautiful, the ocean. Oh, I love it. You know, but it, it is really a hard life being on the water. It's wonderful, but you, you have to really want it because there's a lot of elements, literally the element of water is, is constantly, you know, corroding your electronics and your, okay. your boat and the things you live on, you know, so it's a, it's a lot, but I do love it. And I, I can't imagine myself leaving. And you, you also experienced a hurricane, didn't you? I should mention I did. That. Yeah, I did. So um, we went, th- I went through um, both Irma and Maria, which were some major hurricanes back in 2017. I know that Puerto Rico got a lot of press um, for Hurricane Maria. And we're actually about 40 miles away from Puerto Rico. So I know the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Virgin Islands are very small. So we didn't just get, we didn't get as much press because we're just not as important, <laughs> if you will. Um, but it was the ex- it was the exact same hurricane. So we had the exact same devastation that you guys may have seen on on television or mm. on the news happening here in in these these smaller islands. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was wild. I was That's... very I was actually very naive about about what that was going to be like. And, and being from the Midwest, um, being from like a landlocked place and not really experiencing that, I had no idea what I was in for. And um, I was I was very naive, actually. Wow. The hurricane itself is really horrible and terrifying, but it's really the aftermath is what I wasn't mm. expecting. It was, the, you know, the desolation, the everything looking like a bomb went off. You know, there's mm. literally there's literally not one leaf on a tree anywhere. And I, I just wasn't expecting that kind of uh, devastation, I guess. Mm. I'd never seen anything like it. And then, you know, and then there, we didn't have power. Some people didn't have power for, for months and months. Mm. And it was hard to communicate with people. It was it was a really rough time. But at the same time, the community here was really, um, really all about helping each other. So I experienced that. And that was actually a really great thing that mm. ended up happening. Wow. Yeah. We're going to go from the devastating possibilities of <laughs> tropical life, island life, to the fantasy possibilities with House yeah. Telly got a group back. So before we get started with the, with the movie today, uh, we just want to give you a few reminders. The first section of the show is going to be spoiler free. And so we're going to give you, the listeners, a warning when we're about to discuss spoilers. We'd also like to let you know you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom. And our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. You can send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love a review. That would be great. And if you subscribe to us, you will never miss an episode. So now we're going to start getting into our movie. Uh, Let's get a taste of the How Stella Got Her Groove Back trailer. You need a husband and your son needs a father. Had one. Got rid of him. So glad I did. Stella, when was the last time you had a decent date? Tell the truth. Don't talk to me for the next two hours. I need 20 clients back to back to back. All work and no play. Do you want to be rich? Made Stella a big success. Or do you want to wallow in regret? But everyone knew she needed a vacation. You ain't been nowhere since I was a natural blonde. Except Stella. We're going to Jamaica. What? I want you to try to have some fun. Sure. Well, I mean it. 
Good morning. Ooh. I would like to dance with you. <laughs> you can't be serious. With his clothes on. Ooh, if I weren't in my right mind, I swear you were trying to hit on me. Are you paying attention? I hear you're a cradle robber. Yeah. How could you stoop so low? I want to know how low did you go? <laughs> you sure look happy to see your mom. I'm gonna show you how happy I am. <laughs> so okay. that was that song. Yeah, that, Ooh, boy, I love I'm gonna find that now. It's gonna be in my head all day. I don't know if that one was in the movie. I don't think it was. But I don't think it was either. That's par for the course with these trailers. They're always putting in songs that weren't actually in the movie. But um, yeah, so this movie, uh, How Stolly Got Her Groove Back, was released in 1998, and the director is Kevin Rodney Sullivan. And the writers are Terry McMillan, who wrote the book that it was based upon, and Ronald Bass. And like I said, it's based on a Terry McMillan novel. And she's also known for Waiting to Exhale. And that was her first big breakout novel and also a pretty big breakout movie. And the that movie had the same writers, Terry McMillan and Ronald Bass, but it had a different director, the actor and director, Forrest Whitaker. So the basic premise of How Stella Got Her Groove Back is Stella Payne is the main character, played by Angela Bassett, and she's this hardworking professional woman. She's also a divorced single mom, and she has an 11-year-old son named Quincy. At a certain point, she has an opportunity where her son's with his father, and she decides to take a trip to Jamaica. And she goes with her longtime best friend, Delilah, who's played by Whoopi Goldberg. And in Jamaica, Stella meets uh, a young man named Winston Shakespeare. And he's this very attractive 20-year-old And he's just at the resort looking for work. And he basically hits on her. They end up hooking up. And that's kind of where the story starts. It's not like taking a long time to get to the hookup. It's kind of what happens after the hookup happens. So I kind of wanted to know about you guys. Like, when is the first time you had maybe heard of this movie, encountered this movie, seen the movie? And had you read any of Terry McMillan's books or heard of her? I'd never uh, read her books, but I do remember how Stella got her groove back when it first came out. And then I remember it kind of being a society reference, like as time went on, as as you're a woman of a certain age um, hooking up with a younger man. So if like you were mm-hmm. a Stella, that's what you were. Yeah. Prior to like being a milf or a cougar, there was being yeah. like Stella. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, when, exactly. And I'd rather be a Stella than a milf or a cougar. I like Stella <laughs> Totally, yeah. What is that, Jen? I know cougar. What are you saying before it? Oh, milf, like from American Pie. Like, like oh, mom, I'd like to. Please, <laughs> you can say it. But yeah. <laughs> later, but I I'll say it later. Sophia probably got the point. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, I never <laughs> heard of that. Actually, I mean, I, really? Oh my yeah. gosh! I guess I only I only saw American Pie like once, and it was totally like not up my alley. So any reference or whatever to that show, I have ignored so she blocked it out i've blocked it out i do know cougar though there's also there's also the dilf don't forget about the dilf (laughs) it doesn't sound as good (laughs) true true so had um so serena had you seen the movie like when did you first see the movie then not in 1998 i think i saw it in 1998 i mean okay you did okay i'm i i I was working at the movie theater, obviously, mm-hmm. where we all seem to work um, as a teenager. So I pretty much saw like every single movie that came out. So <laughs> I definitely saw it when it came out. 
Yeah, 98, I had not. I I wasn't interested in, like, a story of a middle-aged woman trying to get her groove <laughs> back. Um, so I didn't see it till I saw it for the podcast. I was Go definitely ahead. interested in Tay Diggs at the time, though. Uh, <laughs> right. That was right. definitely a pull. I remember, I remember seeing him, everyone talking about, like, oh, my God, Tay Diggs. He is so yeah. hot, you know. I do remember that. The, the first thing I remember Tay Diggs from was actually this movie called Go, which I can't even remember what happens in that movie anymore, but it's got like Sarah Polly in it or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that he, movie. And I had only seen How Stella Got Her Groove Back, I would say, a year or two ago. And it's like because oh. I started – and yeah, and it's partly because I started making an effort to just consume more culture starring Black people, written by Black people, directed by Black people, and like – also books as well, because like I'd always been on guys for not watching enough stuff with women in it. <laughs> I could not read enough stuff written by women. And I'm like, dude, I should like do the same thing for myself, but like, like with non-white creators and black creators mm-hmm. and like, just like expand my horizons. And it really did expand my horizons quite a bit. I don't think you ever regret like expanding your horizons and learning from different points of view. That's my theory. For sure. <laughs> it's a good one. It's, it's a, a good, good theory. <laughs> and I only knew Tay Diggs from Rent, uh, the original oh. Broadway cast of Rent, which I mm-hmm. was a diehard. And had any of you read Terry McMillan, either Stella or any of her other books, like out of curiosity, or had seen maybe Waiting to Exhale? Negative. I have seen Waiting okay. to Exhale, but I can't really recall too much about it except for the car on fire scene oh yeah really. yeah that's Which like iconic yeah, it's yeah like iconic to me but other than that and whitney houston of course but yeah uh, other than that i i don't really recall it having too much of an impact on me yeah i ended up watching waiting to exhale for this podcast and i read the book so i read how oh, okay. to groove back so oh, wow. I read, i'm gonna do a book movie comparison later on in the podcast <laughs> yeah so what's your general opinion of the movie both of you having seen it now for me, it it wasn't my fave. There were moments that I enjoyed. And, you know, I went back and looked at reviews from the time and I'm like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm feeling here. Just that there were just moments and beats that didn't feel complete. It, it felt kind of surfacey. And that could be that it just didn't translate from the book well. So that's that's my general opinion of it. Serena, what you got? I mean, mostly I was disappointed, and I know it was taken from a book, that more of it didn't take place in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I agree. I, ca- I kind of wanted to be more of, like, sexy, rompy, like, just all about Jamaica and, like, that kind of romance. Um, but it got quite heavy uh, yeah. in, in general. Like, a lot of things – I don't even know if you would even consider it, like, a very romantic comedy. It wasn't very, like, lighthearted. There were so many yeah, big issues that were thrown sure. into it. So. Um, yeah, I guess that's my. I still enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, I I like the story in in general because I like to see you know female leads and Angela Bassett's a goddess. So mm-hmm. you know whatever she's in, I'm I'm down to watch. And this yeah. is one of her first films. I think this is really what got her um, recognized. I think or one of them. And and the fact that she's older too. I love that. I love that she she is you know forty years old or whatever in the movie. And just seeing that is wonderful instead of seeing like teenagers portraying yeah (laughs) no i told i totally agree with you and i totally agree with you about wishing more of it took place in jamaica actually and i'll like in the book actually there is more content where stella's actually traveling in jamaica or making observations about jamaica 
I, I think that would be a real strength if they had added more of that. And also, yeah, it does get quite heavy. I think in some ways I like that though. And I like that the best friend is like, you You have a movie where like the best friend is played by Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, that's a high level of acting chops yeah. that you've got in a film. Yeah. And yeah, the whole, the cast is great. Like that's, I think the biggest strength of the movie is probably its cast and the, the caliber of actors that they attracted. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg was the comedy of how Stella got her groove back. Like she was <laughs> definitely the, the entertainment factor I felt. I yeah. agree. I, it was Whoopi, and then I would say Regina King. She comes oh, in. Yeah. She she cracked me up. Yeah, her and her amazing her amazing haircut and just like her attitude about everything. I'm like, yes, that's mm-hmm. that's 1998. Okay, so um, let's get into a little bit then, I guess, about the casting crew. So the director was Kevin Rodney Sullivan. He's known for Guess Who, the remake or retelling, reversion of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. And he's done some television, some recent stuff, uh, Riverdale and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So the writers of the movie are pretty well known and like actually much more well known than the director in this case. So first you've got Terry McMillan and researching her was really exciting to me because she just in a lot of ways, I think, changed publishing. Uh, She's written 11 books and most of them are novels that are told from a black woman's point of view. In 1987, she released her first novel, Mama, but the publishing company was not promoting her properly. And so she actually took it upon herself to self-promote her book. So she funded her own book tour. She went to HBCUs and she went to black booksellers and she just like approached them herself and kind of built a reputation. And then she eventually became just this huge explosive bestseller. So when she released Waiting to Exhale in 1992, it like the paperback rights for that sold for 2.64 million. And that was one of the highest rates that was paid at that time. And it kind of got the publishing industry like noticing, hey, there's like this huge audience that we haven't been serving. We haven't been promoting these authors. I think she's kind of like a pulpier writer. Like she's not like a literary fiction writer necessarily. She's more like, um, I don't know. I don't know how I would describe her writing, but it's more sort of stream of consciousness, relatable kind of stuff, like a Bridget Jones's diary or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, there's an audience for that. And people want that. And people, black women wanted someone who told their story from their point of view. And so I think it's like, she really, by promoting herself, by putting herself out there, she really made a lot of changes. And some of her other books have also been made into TV movies. In addition to Waiting to Exhale and How Stella Got Her Groove Back, the feature films, there's Disappearing Acts and A Day Late and A Dollar Short, which were made into TV movies. And we're going to get into this later, but How Stella Got Her Groove Back was actually based on her real-life romance with a Jamaican man, so it's a very personal story to her, but we'll talk about that much later in the show. And right now, Terry McMillan is living in California, and she has a book that came out pretty recently called It's Not All Downhill From Here, which is about a 68-year-old protagonist who has to rebuild her life after a sudden tragedy. And I'm like super interested to read this because... I like you don't see a ton of uh, books written by somebody from an older woman's perspective where the older woman is quite active and still trying to live life. And that sounds like what this kind of book is. So I would love to read that. I like that, too. So basically, Terry McMillan is a badass. That's pretty much what I got from all of that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She's like a really cool lady that I'd love to, uh, you know, have a coffee with or something. She just seems cool. 
And her collaborator, Ronald J. Bass, worked with Macmillan on Waiting to Exhale. And he won an Academy Award for Rain Man, the screenplay. And he also wrote My Best Friend's Wedding, What Dreams May Come, Before We Go. Yeah, Ronald J. Bass is pretty well known. And it's awesome that he was able to collaborate with Macmillan on two projects. That must mean they got along pretty well. Okay, so the main attraction probably of how Stella got her groove back, I think, Serena, judging by your reaction to her, I think you agree with me, (laughs) is Angela Bassett. For sure. Yeah, for sure. She's had just an amazing career. She's a great actress. Her career is still ongoing. And she is a graduate of Yale University. And she has a BA in African-American studies, as well as a Master of Fine Arts degree from Yale School of Drama. So Angela Bassett's career, initially, she just did a lot of TV work. And then in 1991, she had a role in Boys in the Hood, just which is a fantastic movie. She started getting some more movie roles. She had a small role in one of my favorite movies, Passion Fish. Um, she was Betty Shabazz in Malcolm X in 1992. And then she had her breakout, basically, her critical breakout anyway, with What's Love Got to Do With It in 1993. She was nominated for an Oscar for that movie. And she became, Sophia, I think you found this fact out. She became the first African-American woman to win a Golden Globe for Best Actress in Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And I, I watched that for the show, too. Have either of you seen that one, What's Love Got to Do With It? I have, mm. yes. Great. Great movie. Yeah. yeah. She was amazing. Like, her her body in that movie was insane. Yeah. Her and dancing, everything. Yes. There's some really dramatic, like, like very difficult to watch scenes in that movie, too. Like, if you know anything about Ike and Tina Turner's relationship, like, oof. For sure. That, it, there were some hard-to-watch sections, but and she mm-hmm. she was amazing in the role. And then she also appeared um, before Stella in the movie Strange Days in 1995, kind of a sci-fi film, if I recall. And then she was in Waiting to Exhale, Macmillan's first movie. And also in 1995, she played Bernadine, whose husband leaves her for a white woman. And in response, she burns many things, including a car (laughs) that Serena mentioned before. Uh (laughs) Iconic. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. And then 1998 brings us up to how Stella got her groove back. So after that, she's done a ton of work. Also, she's been, I I don't even, I don't want to list off every single thing she's been in, but let's see some highlights. Black Panther, of course. Yeah, Black Panther, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Most recently, like that's probably what she's known for by most people. Black Panther's mom, basically. I guess the name of Black Panther's mom is Ramonda, but I did not realize that she's... (laughs) She was just the queen. She was like yeah, the, queen the queen in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, she also did, let's see, she's done in other rom-coms, like Jumping the Broom is a rom-com, but she plays the mom in that one. And her co-star from Waiting to Exhale, Loretta Devine, plays the mom of the bride while she while Bassett plays the mom of the groom. And they're kind of like at odds with each other. So that's interesting to see those two working together again. But she, right now she's in post-production on something called Gunpowder Milkshake, which sounds kind of intriguing. It says it's about a secret sisterhood comes to the rescue of a mother-daughter assassin team. And Ooh. she's also currently filming Mission Impossible 7. I also realize I should mention that Bassett has directed. So she's not just an actor. She's a director. She directed on American Horror Story, which she also nice. appeared on as Marie Laveau, which now I want to watch American Horror Story for the first time. I've never wanted I, to watch it for some reason. That particular season is wonderful. I'm not a huge fan of American Horror Story. Some of it's a little too horror for me, if you will. Um, But that season where she played Marie Laveau 
was great. I, I loved it. And she did an amazing job. I will check it of out course. for sure then. Yeah. And she also directed a TV movie about Whitney Houston called Whitney in 2015. And I thought this was really interesting simply because she co-starred with Whitney Houston in Waiting to Exhale. So I bet her perspective would be super interesting as a result. All right. So that brings us to Tay Diggs. And Sophia, what do you got to tell us yeah. about Tay Diggs? Oh, Tay. Um, <laughs> he had, <laughs> he had uh, earned a BFA in musical theater from Syracuse University. And his big role, uh, like I said, he originated the role of Benny in Rent in 1996. And Stella, how Stella got her groove back in 1998 was his first major film role. And I watched a little interview with him and he like he was at rehearsal or whatever for Rent. And he got the call that he got this job and he like stripped down naked and ran through the theater like in glee and... I think that, you know, that's just really exciting. He and these exciting done imagining him running around naked. Or- yeah, I like that <laughs> visual. You know, actually, that's not at all what I meant. I was just feeling. <laughs> that's what we meant. <laughs> no, imagining, you know, uh, an actor who had this great success with Rent and then is, you know, looking to do film and to get the gig. Um, yeah, yeah. Makes me really happy. Like, I can feel. I can see and feel that moment for him. Um, And his career has just been consistent and grown since then. Let's see. He's done other rom-coms, The Best Man in 1999, Brown Sugar, uh, The Best Man Holiday, and Set It Up, which I recommended in our now streaming. And then he was on TV shows, Private Practice, Murder in the First, Empire, and most recently, um, All American. And he's written children's books, which makes me so happy about one of them's called Mixed Me, uh, Chocolate Me, I Love You More Than, and My Friend. And it's illustrated by his buddy, Shane Evans. I think they went to college together. And it's about being mixed race because his son is and Shane Evans is as well. And I just think that's really beautiful. And then there's Whoopi Goldberg. You know, she has been around for so long and has worked so much that I forgot all of, you know, what she accomplished. So going back to The Color Purple in 1985, she won Golden Globe for Best Actress and was nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards. And should have won. Should have won for that. (laughs) Probably. Yes. Her next big, big known for role is in Ghost in 1990. She became the first black woman to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in nearly 50 years and was the second black woman to win an Academy Award for acting, the first being Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind in 1940. So it says here she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. And then earlier you said that Angela Bassett was the first black woman to win for a Golden Globe. Oh, yeah, that's probably because it's musical and a comedy. And this oh, is probably okay. for drama because there's two categories. But that is good. That is that is okay. well noted, though. And and then there was Sister Act, where she was nominated for a Golden Globe. Oh, and my favorite, she was on Star Trek: The Next Generation <laughs> for a lot of years. Aren't Diamond. you a Trekkie too, Serena? Yeah, you- big Trekkie. I oh, love it. <laughs> love that. Yay. Yes. Um, and then Sister Sister Act two. She was also in The Lion King. She voiced one of the uh, hyenas, I think. 
Boys on the Side, I remember seeing that one. And she's been on The View forever. And recently, she's in the miniseries The Stand. Ugh, yeah, don't get me started on that. I tried watching it. Thumbs down? Thumb big. Okay, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I love yeah. the book. And yeah. it's not Whoopi Goldberg's fault, certainly. I don't uh-huh. think it's any of the actors' fault. But for some reason, they got the idea, let's make this out of se- sequence like we're Quentin Tarantino for some reason, but like they're not Quentin Tarantino. So they didn't do it well. (laughs) I think it's worth noting about Whoopi is that she is one of 16 entertainers to win an Emmy, a Grammy Academy award and a Tony award. The EGOT for ghost, the view comedy recording and a Tony for thoroughly modern Millie. I feel bad for Whoopi nowadays. She kind of gets pushed into this like talking head because of the view. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think people realize what an amazing right. and influential career she has had. I, I, I've forgotten how funny she was or is because mm-hmm. of all right, because of the view now. And um watching her in Stella uh, just had me cracking up. And I totally want to go back and watch Ghost, which I haven't seen oh, in a million years because she's so funny. Yeah. You're in danger, girl. <laughs> I just showed Lee the color purple for the first time. He'd never seen it. I used to watch <gasps> it all the time when I was a kid. I think I had a record for how many times I cried this time. I think I cried like five different times this time. Mm-hmm. Like every intense. time I watch that movie, I cry. Yeah. Oh, it's at intense. least once. Okay, so now in addition to Angela Bassett, Whoopi Goldberg, Kay Diggs, as if that was not enough, we also have Regina King in this movie. So, man, she is killing it these days. She has been winning a ton of awards. She got Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 2019 for If Beale Street Could Talk. She got an Emmy, Emmy in 2020 for Watchmen. And she's also received Emmy Awards for Seven Seconds and American Crime. And a lot of rom com fans will know her for Jerry Maguire. And then she, I guess she was also in Legally Blonde 2, Miss Congeniality 2, which I don't remember either of those sequels terribly well, but now I kind of want to go back and look at them again. Mm-hmm. And she also appears in this really good movie that I saw recently called Our Family Wedding. I'm probably going to recommend that on an upcoming now streaming, and maybe we'll cover it on the show sometime. In addition to all this, Regina King has 15 directing credits, including One Night in Miami. And um, Regina King plays Vanessa, who is one of Stella's sisters. She's the fun sister. And Suzanne Douglas plays the kind of bummer sister, Angela. And Angela is the pregnant sister who's kind of down on Stella's relationship. And But Suzanne Douglas has not had quite as like extensive a, of success as the others, but she was in When They See Us in 2019. She was in the Whitney TV movie that Bassett directed, and she played Whitney Houston's mom. And I've also heard of Jason's Lyric that she was in in 94 and a movie called Tap with Gregory Hines in 1989. I love that movie. Which one? Tap. Because oh, really? I love Tap. <laughs> yes. And finally, I just want to give a shout out to Michael J. Pagan, who plays Quincy, who's Stella's son. Like he hasn't had a ton of success since that movie, which is kind of surprising because I thought he was really good for a young actor. Um, his last role, though, is listed on IMDb being in 2014. He's done a lot of smaller movies and small TV roles. And he acted in and also wrote a horror movie called Chain Letter in 2010. So props to him for being multi-talented. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to get into talking a little bit about the beginning of the movie. We're still not going to give you any spoilers, but we're just going to kind of set up like some of the tropes and some of the things going on in this movie. 
So first thing, what I noticed right away is they're going for the type A heroine trope. You know, when you have these rom-coms where there's the type A career woman who's just focused on work and not on romance. Do you like that trope? Is it, is it relatable? To me, no, <laughs> not, not at all. I'm like, what's it like to have lots of money? Yeah, I, I don't really relate to that. And I kind of feel like it's overused. Uh, it, it seems very like one dimensional to me. And yeah, that's what I got to say about that. Yeah, I guess kind of the same because it's such a trope and overused and anyhow. So one thing I do like about the trope in this movie, the way it's exhibited, is just she's shown as being so capable. Like when she's running, she's always running in this movie. And whenever she runs, she just seems like almost like an action hero. Sometimes even the music is like action hero music a little bit. And I'm like, that's pretty badass. I mean, that's pretty cool. Like it sets her up as like a very powerful character. Certainly the having lots of money, I don't really relate to, but the book is very similar to that. The book, like, like the, in, in the book, she's always going on shopping sprees and buying more things than she needs. I do want to say that her clothing in this movie was amazing. Like just, mm-hmm. just the stuff that she was wearing was beautiful and gorgeous. I don't know if you know, it was something I noticed. In the Jamaican scenes or in all the scenes, did you feel? In all the scenes, but but definitely in like the Jamaican scenes too. She just had these beautiful like flowing kimonos and beautifully detailed bathing suits, which I guess I noticed that because I basically yeah. live in a bathing suit. I'm like, where did she get that? <laughs> Why does it look so good on her? Yeah. yeah. But it was probably because she runs every morning and I definitely don't do that. So <laughs> probably has something to do with I- it. So like, yeah, in the opening of the movie, we see though her like type A personality, she goes for her morning run, she's very disciplined about it. She's going to her job, like some kind of security stocks. I never understand at all what people are doing when they're yeah, talking about large no sums idea. of money. Right. Um, I'm like, that's, that's why I don't have money because I don't understand any of that. <laughs> you guys, I worked on Wall Street where they did do these things for like nine years and I still, I mean, I was just, I was just an admin. Like it wasn't my job, but like I kind of heard this lingo and typed up reports that had this lingo, but I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're doing. And then, and then it all fell and I'm like, like oh, I didn't know what that was going on anyway. Um, you did it, I'm Sophia. F- no, <laughs> sorry. I, I did the crash of 2008. Listen, I joked about that too. I'm like, uh-oh, I didn't file that thing correctly. And look what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, so she's doing this important job that none of us understand. And then she's going to the spa with her sisters and they're teasing her for not dating. And they're trying to set her up with this, like, judge. And then the judge calls her up on the phone while she's watching TV. And she sees an ad uh, to go to Jamaica. And I thought it was interesting. This is in the book, too, the way they have that commercial go where she's watching it at first. And I think it's like actually just like a white woman in the commercial at first. But then she changes the image in the commercial and her mind becomes her. Mm. Like she takes the woman's place in the in the seat drinking the cocktail. Mm. And then the commercial starts talking to her. Hasn't it been too long since you've been on vacation, Stella? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of it's kind of like a cheesy thing that they do in movies, but it actually kind of worked for me. Like, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I feel like I've definitely had that moment that she that she had in there. It was um, I lived in New York too, um, Sophia. I know we had okay. you mentioned that, but I I lived in Brooklyn for about four years, and I remember being on on the subway, like commuting. And for some reason that season, they had a bunch of ads for Aruba. And Mm. so, you know, every time you're like looking up, you see these like tropical photos. And a lot of them had 
children in them that had dark skin and blonde hair. And for obviously you're listening to me, but I have very dark skin. And I was looking at that and I was like, wow, that's just so beautiful. Like that's such a stunning combination. Like I wonder how that happened. And then like years and years and years later, after moving down here to the Caribbean, which Aruba's in the Caribbean as well, my hair lightened so much from being in the sun and the salt that I had this like moment where I looked like the ad that I had been staring at for like months. And I was having this like out of body experience. Like, I'm like, did I manifest this? You know, like, <laughs> I remember having such a like a, a, a strange moment looking at that that how, you know, influential that ads can be, you know, even years later, you know, how they'll still like pop up in your mind, like, oh, wow, I guess, I guess that had more of an impact than I thought, you know? I think the movie kind of acts almost like an ad for Jamaica. And like, um, I'll cut out, I have this later in the outline, but I'll just kind of head to it is that they said that both the books, How Stella Got a Groove Back and the movie, both seem to increase tourism, like tourism makes sense. Yeah, it makes total after sense. the release of the book and the movie. And yeah, watch I had never really considered going to Jamaica before, but like like honestly, like I was watching the movie and then I was researching about Jamaica and I was like, huh, huh, Jamaica does yeah. seem interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that movie took just took place in like the resort. And of sure. course, in like resort yeah. land, it looks ideal, but I'm sure the rest of Jamaica isn't exactly like that. I'm sure, <laughs> sure. it's it's <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit too. Yeah, we'll get into that. Also, this movie has a best friend character, which is not in the book, actually. So this is different from the book. Delilah does not like exist in the same form in the book. But in this movie played by Whoopi Goldberg, I think she adds like very needed, like kind of comic relief and somebody for Stella to bounce her thoughts off of. Mm-hmm. And I love that she's not a throwaway character. I love that she's got such a strong, you know, character personality. It doesn't even make sense that it wouldn't exist in the book because it's so pivotal in the movie. Yeah, in the book, it's very stream of consciousness. You get a lot of internal thoughts about um, about like what's going on, and also she makes like resort friends. You know how you're on a vacation by yourself, you kind of make friends with whoever's around. But that's not really doesn't have the same kind of emotional resonance. So right, I know. And also, it just allows for funny things to happen, like Delilah is trying to pick up these kind of like cheesy older men. And she's trying to get Stella interested in them, too. I think that made for some good comic relief. It's also like a a reference to her past, you know, like, so she's trying to explore these new things. And then she's got someone from her past that knows her like, what are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I think that's what her her character kind of did, especially in the, the Jamaica scenes. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of information then about Jamaica for people who don't know much about it. So Jamaica is a Caribbean island. It's in the West Indies, and it's west of Haiti and south of Cuba, and its capital is Kingston. And um, Jamaica is an English-speaking country, so it actually makes it a pretty good tourism destination for a lot of people from America who don't speak other languages. And it's considered a middle-income country, and it is the third most populous English-speaking country in the Americas after the United States and Canada. I studied a bunch about its history. Like When I say a bunch, I mean a as much as you can do in a week. I'm going to summarize just a little background. Like it's not actually doesn't become very important in the movie, which I think is in some ways kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, There's a little bit in the book, a little bit more, but not much. But the original inhabitants of Jamaica were the Taino people, the natives. And as with many places, Christopher Columbus came in 1494 and uh, (laughs) did horrible things and Mm -hmm. established slavery and 
genocide and all kinds of terrible things. So in 1509, the first permanent European settlement was in Jamaica. And the native people were largely enslaved. And then they brought more African people over to also enslave. And it was controlled by the Spanish for some time. In the 1650s, the British fought for control and won. At that time, there were a number of escaped slaves called Maroons, and they formed their own settlements in kind of like outlying areas. And at times throughout Jamaican history, they have fought Europeans, especially when the Europeans have targeted their settlements. Jamaica was at one time one of the busiest slave markets in the island areas, and it was it produced sugar, indigo, cacao. It was very important to the British. In 1807, it says the British ended the transatlantic slave trade, but it said that British colonial slaves were not all emancipated until 1838, which is kind of a large plague. It's like, yeah. we made this mm-hmm. illegal, but like, you know, we need 31 years to kind of like, yeah, yeah, not not great. So obviously this entire country has been affected by a legacy of like genocide and then slavery that probably I would imagine has effect on the people today. They also have a history of earthquakes, like kind of devastating earthquakes. They had one in the 1600s and also in 1907. An entire town, Port Royal, was mostly devastated by that. Port Royal used to be where the pirates hung out, which I thought was really interesting. I totally want to go to the pirate area. They said it sank. <laughs> well, yeah, part of it's there. Part of it's oh, okay. There. And there's actually an amazing. If people are into diving, you have to get yeah. permission from the you have to get permission from the government to dive there. But apparently, some people can. And there's amazing architectural sites underwater. Wow, that sounds amazing. Buildings that sunk. And like they found all kinds of interesting artifacts, which they put in one of their museums from there. So I'm really interested in that kind of thing. So Jamaica finally, like there was a lot of other things happened in the intervening years, but they finally gained independence from the UK in 1962. They developed a lot of important infrastructure, including a university. Um, They had industrialization with bauxite mining, which doesn't sound great, but... People do what they have to do to, you know, have an economy. And they also have, of course, a major tourist economy. And the country is mostly considered pretty stable and safe. It does have drug trafficking gangs in some areas, but like Jamaica is not considered like really a dangerous place to travel as long as you're like, you know, keep your wits about you. On the on the tourist track, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but even I read that even in some of like the areas where it's considered less safe, you can still travel there if you do things wisely, you know, maybe have a guide, like don't flash around a lot of money, like, Mm -hmm, et cetera. mm -hmm. Things that people should basically just learn to do when they're traveling anywhere. And like I mentioned before, Jamaica did get a bump in tourism that they kind of attributed to Stella. And there has been also a history of kind of sex tourism to Jamaica. So according to the LA Times in 1999, in tourist areas, there are higher rates of there were higher rates of AIDS in the country. So there was definitely like, yeah, possibly just like relationships developing, like, but also maybe things that were either prostitution or sort of light prostitution, like where people were getting gifts or money, etc. So yeah, that is like the very abbreviated introduction to what I learned about Jamaica in the last couple of weeks. What about Bob Marley? Oh, yeah. Marley. Well, I, I mostly didn't mention Bob Marley because he barely comes up in the movie. Like, he's true. They play one of his songs, I think. And like, yeah, and everybody already knows that, 
You know what I mean? Like, I think if you ask most Americans, what do you know about Jamaica? <laughs> They're going to say Bob Marley. Yeah, that's like number one, usually. <laughs> so, and like, Rastas. And, and yeah. weed. And marijuana. Don't yeah. forget that. <laughs> yeah. It all goes together. So for our travel series, I also wanted to put together for each place that we go to with the movies, kind of some like different tourist places you might visit. This movie, like as Serena mentioned earlier, just doesn't do a lot in Jamaica. It's mainly in the resort area. But some places of note in Jamaica like include Dunn River Falls and Park, which is in Ocho Rios. You can climb waterfalls and you can swim at a beach that's below. That looks beautiful. Seven Mile Beach, which is in Negril, which I think might actually appear in the movie. It is, I think, where Terry McMillan had visited Negril when she went to Jamaica initially. And there are some nude beaches there, too, which are referenced in the book, but not really in the movie. You can also go to the Blue and John Crow Mountains National Park if you like hiking. It's like a coffee-growing area. It looks very scenic. And a lot of people have probably heard of the Blue Lagoon. Have you heard of that, Serena, or...? Um, I, f- I feel like there's lots of blue lagoons like all, all over the world. So I don't, I haven't heard of this one specifically. Well, this, this particular one is in Port Antonio and it, apparently it has deep, beautiful swimming water, like just gorgeous. And then of course the Bob Marley museum and Trenchtown culture yard is located in Kingston. And there you can like learn about obviously Bob Marley, see his house, but also I think that you can learn about other singers and artists from the area. And then in the book, Stella actually does ride a horse. She does not do that in the movie, which is a shame. I would have loved to see Angela Bassett on a horse. <laughs> and um, it, you could do that at a lot of places in Jamaica. One of the places that's recommended is the Half Moon Equestrian Center in Montego Bay. And then there's the place I want to visit, which I just I mentioned earlier, which is Port Royal. So Port Royal like, is the big site where they, the British kind of allowed pirates so that they could fight the Spanish. They allowed them for a time. And so like piracy and prostitution and gambling and all kinds of things were like flourishing in Port Royal for a number of years until the earthquake destroyed a great deal of the city. And many people were like, see, it's the vice of the pirates that brought this on you or whatever. (laughs) But like you can see a sunken city basically there. If you get permission from the Jamaican government, you can dive there and see the sunken city. And you can also still see Fort Charles, which is a remaining a historical fort that remains there that didn't go down in the earthquake. You can see a lot of the artifacts recovered from the Port Royal area at the Museum of History and Ethnography at the Institute of Jamaica in Kingston. And that is the kind of dorky thing that I do on vacation. Yeah, I would love to do that. There is so much like historical vacation trips that I want to go to and to drag my husband and daughter. They're like, (laughs) they're like lame. So I'm like, this is so exciting. Here's a field where a battle happened you know what i mean like i'm (laughs) jen i would go with you how sophia and jen learn some more history (laughs) we could also scuba dive okay i would yes i'm down with that too so yeah like the in the actual movie um filming location um the book is set in negril the movie itself was filmed at the time and place in falmouth which is a kind of an inn and also at the Round Hill Hotel and Villas in Montego Bay. So the time and place is now closed, but the Round Hill Hotel and Villas is open. But it's like the villas start at like $1,000 a night. There goes that trip after all. Sorry. <laughs> and then Stella's actual vacation, like she just doesn't like do a ton of things that you couldn't do at like another island, basically. You see her like running on the beach. She's having a breakfast on the patio. She swims in the ocean. 
She swims in the pool. She goes to the pajama dance party, which we'll talk about later. And like, there's more to the vacation in the book. They also go to this place called Rick's Cafe, where you can see cliff divers, like diving off this cliff right by the restaurant, which sounded pretty cool. She goes shopping at the local markets. I just think like in the book, it's a little more developed. Um, What do you guys think about this vacation? Like, where would you want to go if you were in Jamaica? What would you want to do? Um, I'm with you. I I am obviously a very water-based person. I mean, that diving sounds amazing. I I would want to check out the the wildlife, see how their reefs are doing. I'm actually pretty interested in other islands' reefs because our reefs are are so damaged. Mm. Um, I'm assuming Jamaica's probably are as well. Um, But like you, I'd be into the history as well, going to some historical sites and, you know, checking out the you know, what the locals do, quote unquote. I sound very touristy by saying that, but that's probably what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose because they haven't researched what to do in Jamaica, like all, everything that they shot, like being on the beach sounds great to me. Like that's kind of all I want to do. Yeah. And there could be some value in just like taking a like totally chill, like just do relax yourself on the beach if you never do that in your regular life. I suppose I would just go to Florida, though, for that, you know, (laughs) like probably a little cheaper. It's domestic, blah, blah, blah. But um, so if I were going to go to Jamaica, I would want to know certain specific things that maybe I could only get in Jamaica um, that I couldn't in like Miami. Stella's (laughs) just making so much money at that securities job. It doesn't matter. She's like, I'll just go. Right. Right. I mean, oh my gosh, that spa they go to. I have to, can can I interject? I don't know if this is the right time and place, but like her house alone, I'm like, that's a vacation. Can I I Airbnb that place? And then the spa that they go to, I'm like, what? I don't even do, I don't even get my nails done. I do that myself. Like, she's escaping from her escape, basically. She already, yeah, yeah. But I think that's one of the things in these travel rom-coms. It's like people who like, they need to escape their social context, their daily life context. Like maybe they can't even see how great their daily mm. life is anymore. Maybe they've gotten so routinized, like, or like they're subject to sort of social barriers. And then they go on this trip and they're able to like, let that down, let their inhibitions down. Yeah, I would say, wouldn't you say that's kind of what it functions as in these movies too? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, even though I looked at her home and like, why would you need to leave that beautiful paradise? It's still your own house. And you're like, oh, I got to get the plumbing fixed. Oh, that shingle keeps falling down. Like you still see all your crap, you know, that you need to get done where, you know, you need to get away from all that. So Stella's on her vacation and she's just chilling out, not doing, not going to the Fort Charles or like I think the museum, <laughs> but maybe because of this, she ends up meeting Winston Shakespeare. And before we play the clip, I just want to point out that the last name, I looked this up, the last name Shakespeare is an actual thing. So there's a Jamaican musician named Robbie Shakespeare, and he's half of a reggae duo named Sly and Robbie. So mm-hmm. like, this is, a, this is a name that people have. It wasn't even just that one guy. There was a bunch of them. Um, so let's, um, let's play the clip though of like Stella and Winston's first meeting. What's your name, young man? My name is Winston. Winston Shakespeare. (laughs) And yours, young lady? My name's Stella Winston. Mm -hmm. See, I gave you two names. You only gave me one. Well, the one I gave you was real, Mr. Shakespeare. You didn't know Shakespeare was really black. Yeah, man. Socrates, too. So, um... 
Where's your husband? What makes you think I have one? Okay, where's your boyfriend? <laughs> you know, you ask a lot of questions to be so young. Where are your parents? And how old are you? My parents are at home where they belong. And how old do you think I am? 25. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be 21 on my next birthday, so that makes me 20. He's not even legal. And you are? 40. No, truthfully. Oh, let's not go there, okay? You look really, really good. I mean, I've never seen a 40-year-old woman who looks like you. Thanks. Can I just say that that Jamaican accent is atrocious? <laughs> I'm one, so glad. I'm so glad you said that because I'm like, I mean, I didn't want to be too critical, but I'm like, I I kind of bad. It's not so. I great, mean, I right? love Tay Diggs. I love his acting. I think he's incredibly talented. But accents are hard, and a Jamaican accent. I I think any West Indian accent, and I, I just have. It, it is great because you can understand him, um, and it's it. At the least, it's a very light accent, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a lilt to it. Um, I mean, I've lived here seven years, and I have a really hard time understanding the local accent, mm-hmm. um, even though it, it is it is um, English uh, <laughs> technically, <laughs> but it is it is very different, and I a lot of slang is different, and that Jamaican accent was pretty not great, but. Otherwise, I tangent, tangent. No, No, I think that's important. Yeah, that is important because I felt like that also kind of took me out of the story and like kind of caring about their characters and stuff like that. And I also believe that, yes, it was probably a choice to go not so heavy to have a lighter accent, but it also it it separated a lot for me. It took Mm -hmm. me out of. See, I managed to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner's accent. So, like, I can survive anything. <laughs> it's the truth, right? That accents accents so are important. Bad. They are. Yeah, they. it's important. But, it's like, yeah, I guess if you yeah, if you don't know what it sounds, if you haven't, like, heard one, maybe you wouldn't think anything of it. But if you've actually, like, heard a real Jamaican accent, you're like, yeah. uh, that's not that's not what it sounds like. <laughs> Without going into spoilers too much, what do you guys think about the way Winston is like portrayed in this movie, like his character? I kind of find it cheesy somehow. Like I believe that there's this, there is a sweetness to him. Like he's a sweet guy. He's he's definitely like a <laughs> unicorn. Like he is a unicorn. <laughs> okay. Like that that guy is not just gonna like show up at a resort <laughs> without some other kind of intention. You know what I mean? Like mm. with that smile mm. and that like charisma. Like I think it just gives people the wrong impression that this is gonna happen to you. And mm. I think that's <laughs> when a lot of women end up falling victim to scams and people scamming them and you know wanting monetary gifts or whatever you know what i mean like even if someone's as hot as angela bassett though shows up like she is very attractive yes unfortunately even even with her being that good looking i i still think that that's pretty hard to come by without with it being so pure and again i don't want to go into like any spoilers of like what's going on later but that he is is so perfect you know like that's just not doesn't exist i think women in movies movies are unicorns all the time there's always these like unrealistic younger women who are super hot winston's the male version of that but we're just not used to seeing the male version of that in movies 
we're used to like seeing the male gaze in movies where you see like the woman's body, like, like lusted after and looked at like in Clueless where you see her like, you know, coming down the stairs in the tiny dress. In this movie, we're seeing Winston's bicep like lovingly looked at and his, his mouth, his smile, like, you know, and later on his butt and like, it's just very, it's a reversal. So you think that was done? You think that was done on purpose? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like to portray him like that. I don't, I don't know if it was done. Like, you mean like with the camera work? Sure. Of course the camera work was done. Or like consciously, consciously, you know, that, oh, we're going to put him in like the, what would traditionally be the like young female role. I don't think they were maybe thinking of it like that, but to put him in the, 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 the object of desire role. Yeah. For yes. sure. Yeah. There it just go. happened. That's just, that's just what it, what you become in that, in that role. <laughs> yeah. And we also just don't know a ton about Winston, like in the book either. Like we don't know about him yeah. a lot about him in the movie. We know that his parents want him to be a doctor and he's really not sure about it. He seems almost like a blank slate the way like female love interests are in other movies. Like, oh, attractive person who's doing some vague job. I mean, could that, that just be an age thing? Could that, I mean, he is very young. How much depth does a 20-year-old have, you know? I guess it is different from, you know, person to person. But, you know, how much experience can you actually get in 20 years when most of it you're a child? (laughs) Totally, yes. I have this later in the outline, but I'll mention it now. So in the movie, he's supposed to be 20 and she's supposed to be 40. In the book, he's still 20. She's supposed to be 42. But the actual actors, Tay Diggs was 27 and Angela Bassett was 39. So the age gap is much less actually between the actors than it is between their characters, which I thought was interesting. Okay. So then we've got like these older dudes in the movie that I thought was interesting too. So like the older dudes kind of become an object of almost mockery. Yeah, I can't remember actually the other guy's name. There's Buddy and this other guy. And those are the dudes that like Whoopi Goldberg's character Delilah has picked up. And they are so cheesy. Mm -hmm. They're like trying to get with Stella and like using these corny pickup lines. Oh, my God. You're like, of course, she'd go for Winston. Like, those are that's her choice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because later in the movie, people call her desperate. And I'm like, why would she be desperate to go with Winston? You'd be right. desperate to go with Buddy? Right. <laughs> Does not compute. <laughs> like, isn't a desperate person the person who goes for the person they're not attracted to? Yes, that is true. Yep, that's a really good point. Anyway. The settling, the settling. Yeah, so Winston somehow convinces Stella to go to this thing called the Pajama Dance Party. And I guess there's a lot of resorts down there that have things like this that are basically like excuses to get naked and grind on people. (laughs) Have you experienced anything like this? Like, you don't have to tell me. No, I I want to tell you. (laughs) Um, So I, for many years, I worked on what would be considered like cattle boats so I I worked on like a large catamarans that could hold up to 80 people and a lot of it was just cruise ship based Um, so we would get people that were coming off cruise ships um, and then taking them on a tour usually doing like a a snorkel a sea turtle snorkel or like a shipwreck snorkel and then like a little sail you know Um, and every year and pretty much every year one of those cruises was um for nudists <laughs> so <laughs> so what they would so what they would do is they would rent out and obviously like you couldn't 
they couldn't go to like a regular beach or like the regular spots. So we would kind of have to take them to like more like exclusive places, but they would pretty much rent out the whole company. So this would be like, you know, uh, 10 boats with 80 people on them each. And after a certain point, we could tell them like, okay, you can take your clothes off now. Like we're, we're out of the Harbor (laughs) where other people can see you. And yeah, they would be completely naked in the water. We did kind of discover that it wasn't just a nudist cruise, that there was also some like swinging involved or something, Mm -hmm. but that got like explained to us like later. (laughs) So there was definitely some more explicit activity that was happening. Um, I didn't experience it. They were very respectful to my boat and my crew. Um, We were told that we had to remain professional and still do our jobs and lifeguard and like do all the things so like we couldn't get naked and get crazy but i know that some other crew on boats felt like they had gotten like harassed and were like hit on and Mm. and definitely you know there's a lot of um you know young people in this industry as well so yeah i've definitely had some experiences with uh you know people down to party and maybe having a different uh, a different lifestyle which is totally fine you know and of course totally that's what you want to do that's totally cool but people specifically do vacations where they can be naked yeah yeah <laughs> so the pajama dance party scene didn't seem like quite like that level but like it's like it's like basically True. in the movie it seems so awkward i think it's like the sort of thing that would be less awkward in real life and more awkward in a movie which is a rare thing but like in the movie, it just seemed like so like, pl- I think it's plus everyone was wearing such weird pajamas too. Were. <laughs> yeah. But it was the 90s. What did you, I, guess. I know. It was the 90s. But, but I like, love your note here. The red tank top, the red mesh <laughs> tank top. I was like, what? Yeah. Tay Diggs, not even Tay Diggs, in my opinion, pulls off a red mesh tank top. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't do it for me. I have, yeah. I have a friend here that wears mesh tank tops. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's a Caribbean thing. I don't know. The styles are definitely different here for sure. Yeah. Even like, even when I'm like traveling and like going other places and then like, I'm, I'm getting to a flight that's going to coming to St. Thomas. I'll like look around and be like, Oh, okay. Yes. Perfect. Cause everyone's kind of wearing a very distinct, different style, Okay, all right, (laughs) which could be red mesh tank tops. So that, that part is, is totally legit. Yeah. Especially Caribbean men. I feel like Caribbean men pull that stuff off all the time. All right. Well, thank you for that. Because otherwise I was like, what in the world? (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I think the worst thing was like, I think there were a couple guys just wearing like, look like normal boxers and like maybe white socks. And I'm like, no, no. (laughs) What are you doing? Okay. That's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's odd. (laughs) So at this party, they start like Winston and Stella are there and they start sort of dancing with each other. And like, Winston kind of makes first contact with Stella by she puts her hands in the air to dance and he puts his hands on hers. And like, I thought that was a good way for them to break the ice, but it's still, the whole scene was a little awkward to me. I don't know why. And like, then they have the old, older man striptease scene. My daughter walked into the kitchen (laughs) right as that moment happened. And I'm like, I would rather you watch like walk in on the murder scene in one of like the, you know, true life crime things that I watch, not this. And I was like, don't look. (laughs) Really? I mean, he wasn't that bad, but really? (laughs) She murdered his, he murdered her innocence. She, I closed the screen. She didn't see it. She okay, was like, okay. uh, what? And I'm like, you know, no, just keep going. What do you want? Get your goldfish and go. 
I mean, I think for me, it's kind of harmless, but like I was, it is interesting though to see, cause you usually don't see men's bodies as an object of like, make fun of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Older men are usually treated like, oh, he's a dignified, uh, like, you know, handsome older man. Like, and in this movie, yeah. it's like, no, we're, we're making fun of Bob Buddy a little bit here. Was, he, like, was, was it making fun of his body or just like his antics? Maybe both, a little bit of both, I think. Yeah. Like, I just kind of felt like he was just generally embarrassing. Like, ugh. Like, I think it was just to contrast like him with Winston, yeah. who was like so suave and smooth and sexy and all of the things. And then you've got this like other guy that's kind of making a fool of himself on the dance floor. And you're like, ugh, of course I'm going to go with that guy or go yeah. with Winston, you know, and not, not what? this. Uh, I don't What's know. being offered in my age group, basically. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And like in the book, there's a couple characters that I think are kind of put together to form buddy. Like just random guys are always like asking her to go to the nude beach or like you know right. looking at her, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. So then we've got like I, I'm kind of interested, Serena, in your perspective of Stella, like as a tourist, like as a type of tourist. You had mentioned like you've seen a lot of people coming down who seem to be trying to have that kind of experience of escaping to the island or having a fantasy. Yeah, definitely. And people think that somehow when you maybe all people think this on vacation, but specifically like to islands, they think that there aren't real people here (laughs) that Hmm. are living like real lives and have like real jobs. And, you know, that it is just this fantasy land where nothing's real. I mean, even specifically like everything that's been going on with this COVID thing recently, um, because we have been open and, basically pretty open to tourism and you know people just come down they're like oh you guys are so lucky because you know you're not you're not affected by this because this is the islands you know like why wouldn't we be affected like like we're still part of the world right (laughs) in in general but people just have um you know put on their vacation blinders and you know there's always these jokes down here as well i mean not to say like to compare to stella because obviously she's a very intelligent woman but you know, people come on vacation down here and they forget to bring their brains, you know, <laughs> so things that seem like such common sense, like why, why would you do that? Why, why would you think that, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just people not doing their research. I really, I really appreciate people who do their research on a place where they're going to go because there are some customs here that are different than, you know, in, in the mainland states or other parts of the world. So. I don't know how that specifically uh, ties in with Stella, but I mean, I think that there is a, a market out there for older women, older single women looking for companionship and and coming to places like like Jamaica or like here in the Virgin Islands, um, not necessarily looking for younger men, but looking for that more exotic experience that sure. they're not getting back wherever they're from. So I think a lot of a lot of men, um, a lot of times it ends up being young men, but not necessarily uh, end up preying on on women mm. like that, you know, and, and and maybe it's beneficial. Obviously, everyone's a consenting adult. Uh, at this point, you know, I'm sure, you know, maybe the the women are getting what they want and the guys are getting what they want, maybe an opportunity to stay in a nice villa or have some nice meals. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely a a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you see that women doing that with men, like, just all the time, too. Like, younger women, older men relationships, so. Obviously, yeah. men um, do that all over the world, like, that's what they do, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Not to generalize, but I'm going to. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, it just seems kind of uh, odd, or maybe it's a new thing that that's what women are, are capable of doing, because women do have, yeah, you know, yeah. high, high power jobs and can't afford to go on luxury vacations. Yeah, that actually segues really well into our next topic, which is just older women, younger men relationships in general, it's unless you have more to add on the, the previous topic. No, no. So like, yeah, they did. I was read this like JSTOR article, which is like summarizing a lot of research. And it said that since the 1970s, rates of women in relationships with men five years or younger have nearly tripled. And they were kind of theorizing that the reason for the growth in those relationships was women having more economic independence. So, yeah, that goes along just exactly with what you were saying. Like a lot of people want younger partners if they're in a position to have them. These days there are more older women, younger men relationships, but they're still kind of like considered a rarity, considered kind of odd. There's some famous relationships. I looked up like Lisa Bonet and Jason Momoa, Tilda Swinton and Sandro Kopp, Hugh Jackman and Deborah Lee Furness. And there's the president of France and his wife, of course. Um, what are what are your both of your personal feelings and or experiences with like an older woman or younger man relationship? It doesn't matter to like I wouldn't be like you can't do that. <laughs> um, that somehow it would be wrong. Have you ever like had crushes on people much younger, or much older, or do you tend to like like people your own age? Or is there no? Yeah, I remember at in all? high school being maybe a senior, senior or junior, and uh, fine, that's just high school or whatever. But there was a freshman that I thought was really cute. But I can't think of anything when it as older. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> my my current partner is is ten years younger than I am, and previously uh, my boyfriend before that was also ten years younger than me. So I, it's kind of been a trend in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been the older one in the relationship for whatever reason. I I always kind of felt it was because I was a late bloomer. I was just in the time and the place and the space of people that were and are much younger than me. I mean, even now, a majority yeah. of my friends um, are you know eight to ten years younger than I am, um, and I'm. I I have some theories to that, but obviously I have I have no issues with um, dating younger men or vice versa. It's just it's just never like happened for me. I've never really dated an older person, so I don't really know what that is like. Yeah, I can relate to you, Serena, when you say late bloomer, because like when I was, you know, I didn't really date in high school until senior year. And like, I didn't drink, I didn't party, I didn't like do a lot of things that people my age were trying to do. And so like, I would hang out with younger people. And I would date people who are a little younger than me, because it's just like, I had more in common with them. They and they weren't as cynical, maybe, and they weren't into drinking. And so I was like, yeah. And like, I think I mostly dated younger people until I was in I don't know, my late 20s. And then I met my husband, who's like around the same age. I've had crushes on older guys, but like never turned into anything. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same. I'm like, I'm good with both. I think I've had more experience with guys being a little bit younger than me. Yeah. My husband is a year younger. There you go, girls. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. do. I do have to say, though. Um, so my previous boyfriend, when we started dating, he was 21 and I was 31. And that was 
I mean, it could just have been like a personality thing or whatnot, but that seemed a little much bigger of an age gap mm-hmm. than like my current boyfriend partner, um, who is now, you know, I'm going to be 39 this month and he's going to be 29. Yeah. And it, I, I do think that like early 20s can be like a little sketch because you are still really like developing and it, it can be a yeah. little harder. But again, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think men really think about that kind of stuff like they're like yeah i'm gonna date an 18 year old if you know the option is available to me you know Hmm. maybe not i don't know what i thought was really weird in the movie was like that she keeps like she keeps saying he's not even legal and it's like 20 like to drink like what is she talking about right like i couldn't find any place where the age of consent was like 21 so i'm like that was a little odd but yeah I think it was just a joke. Yeah, I think they were I just joking, you know, because that's what you say. Like, yeah. oh, are they legal? You know, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So really, okay. So here's just a random question. Like, don't think about it. Overthink it too much. But if you had to make like a dating profile today, what would be your lower and upper age limits? I just thought it'd be a fun question. Maybe like 10 years younger. 20s are different now. 20, like, cause I don't know at like 28, did I know what the hell I was doing? I mean, I was married, but like, as far as like life choices and like, to what do I want to be when I grow up? So I, I would maybe steer clear of twenties. I would put my lower limit at 27. And that's because I think most people have gone through a lot of their figuring out what they want to do by 27. Not all people, but like, I think that's your first round of going through what you want to do. 27 would be my lower And I think 55 would be my upper right now. I'm trying to think if I'm like going one side more than the other. (laughs) Get a calculator. I can't do that math. Oh, you know, I'm going younger than I would go older. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely favoring younger over older a little bit. No limits, baby. No limits. (laughs) Nice. Nice, Serena. I like that. Except except for the the legal one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I couldn't, who knows? I couldn't put a, I'm always, I'm always surprised by ages a lot of times. I even refer to my own boyfriend as old man Patrick because I I feel like I'm considerably younger than he is. Just like in, your in mind. the way I th- yeah, yeah, in my mind, the way I think, the way I act, like the decisions I make. <laughs> you know, like um I don't age is such a funny thing. It, yeah, you know? it like, really is. Yeah. Isn't there research where it's like your adolescent brain is fully developed by like 25? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a big fat deal. Like you're still a kid <laughs> in a way. And we do all these grown up adult things. Well, they send people to war when they're 18. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I that's yes, this is the point I'm getting at. You yeah. can you get sent to war, you can vote, you can you can get married and have children at like 21. And I don't know, man, 21 like I I still needed like my mom and dad. I was still living at home. Do you know what I mean? Like I But yet I've I, met 17-year-olds who live on their own cuz they emancipated from their parents or who are taking care of their parents cuz their parents aren't capable of doing it themselves. So People age at different rates depending on they what do. life demands they of them, do. I think. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely um, met people who are much older that have infant brains. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our last yeah, president would ma- be a good example. Yeah, ma- Did our you last- say our former president? <laughs> yeah, I said our last oh, president yes. would be a good yeah, example. Of- yeah. yeah. So let's talk about like really quickly, like just there's other like there's not a lot of films with older women, younger men relationships, like whereas like in a lot of movies, the older man, younger woman is just not even commented on or noticed. Right. Like you, yeah. you just brush past it. But in but it's almost always like a thing. 
in a movie when it's an older woman and a younger man. Like that's like the topic of the movie. It's basically the topic of this movie. And then you've got like Harold and Maude, obviously with a much larger age difference. You've got things like um, I read about White Palace with Susan Sarandon and James Spader. And then there's the rebound with Catherine Zeta-Jones. She starts dating like the nanny, I guess, is the plot of that one. But it's like ends up being what the movie's about as opposed to with men. It's not. One exception to that, though, is Moonstruck, which we did for our first movie. Cher and Nicolas Cage had a larger age difference than Angela Bassett and Tay Diggs. Like Cher and Nicolas Cage had an 18 year age difference when they were filming Moonstruck. And I don't know if you're supposed to think Nicolas Cage is very young. I think you're supposed to kind of read him as older. But still, I thought that was interesting. I don't think at all that you're supposed to read an age difference. Because Cher's just ageless. Ageless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So have you seen any of these other age gap movies? Like, or do you have an opinion about why they're so scarce? Or, I mean, you can state the obvious too. (laughs) I feel like it's becoming, it is becoming more popular. Um, What is that TV show? Like Younger or something about a woman who is is mistaken as a younger person and then ends up dating a younger guy and then carries on this whole life of her being 25 but she's actually 40 oh i don't know that but it is still about the relationship though it's not just like a thing that you just like oh there's an older woman dating a younger man yeah true it's about her like hiding the fact that she's 40 i do think that it's harder to tell what age someone is unless they absolutely tell you you know and, and not just with maybe it's with like working out or like you can have good food or what i don't know what it is and coloring your hair that, yeah, that I've always run into like I I don't I don't think so anymore, but like I always looked younger than I was. So, and I think that in turn had people that were younger were more likely to hit on me or like be attracted to me because then they assumed I was the same age as them. And they, they even brought it up in how Stella got her groove back is like he's like, "What? You're 40?" You know, like he couldn't yeah. believe that. And I think that that's true. And then and then I think that makes it so that it shouldn't really matter you know, your age, if you're attracted to someone and they look good at 40 or 50 or 75, then like, go for it. You but know? in the in the movies, what's considered attractive for a woman and a man that are still vastly different, like you don't see a movie where like Kathy Bates is like, going to That's an true. island. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm. No offense. Like the, you mean like the, a- like the average looking woman? Is that, yeah. is that what you yeah, mean? Yeah, like a normal yeah, so. looking woman. Or even like where Frances McDormand's going to an island. Like, you know, like whatever. Like Frances McDormand, Kathy Bates. I mean, but there was, to- a, there was a movie with Frances McDormand where she oh, was yeah. with a younger man. Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Very good, great exception. Yeah. Although it was still a little bit about that relationship. Whereas like, I don't know. I think yeah. like you like I remember seeing Entrapment where like Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones right. were supposed <laughs> to be a couple. And I'm like, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I did right. not watch that film just because of that. I was like, hell no. Like I just yeah. didn't. I just was over that, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think there's still like a lack of equity here, but it may be changing a little bit. You're right. Like, I hope so. I hope it's changing to where. Because, like, do you guys ever see the Amy Schumer skit, too, where they have all those older actresses, like, yeah. say, mm-hmm. like, like, like yeah, they, they've aged out. Yeah. They've aged out of yes. being, like, a romantic interest, and now they have to be a mom. And, like, they what? who do they put on the rowboat? They put somebody on a rowboat and cast them off the log. Oh, God. It was um, Julia Ma- Dreyfus. Julia, Julia Louis. Maybe. Was she in uh, that? Was she part of yeah, that? she was part oh, of it. Know. I don't know if she was the one they put onto the rowboat or not. But uh, they- it was um, – it was – Arquette, uh, Patricia Arquette, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So I think of that a lot when I think about what roles women are given, you know, and how they are seen, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely 
disproportionate. Like it, it is actually terrible how women are portrayed after a certain age, which I think is what makes a movie like how Seligar grew back like so special. But you're right. It is just about the relationship. Like it's not about like other, it is about other things, but a, a lot of it is about their age gap. Let's go. We'll be in the spoilers. Okay. Section now. How about okay. <laughs> Yay! like if, if this was, if the roles were reversed and Stella was a man and he went down to Jamaica and picked up a 20 year old Jamaican woman girl and brought her back to San Francisco in his beautiful house. And he's this high powered money-making executive or whatever, you know, everyone would think that she got a good deal, you know, that like, oh, good for you. You found a, a man to take care of you, you know, mm-hmm. whereas when when it's a woman doing that, everyone's like, oh, how dare you? You know, you're so this is shameful what you're doing, you know, it sucks. It doesn't make sense. So now that we're in the spoilers, OK, section, we can continue doing talking about the plot, too, and like what happens throughout the course of the movie and how people react to Stella and so like we'll go through the plot but like you guys if you want to jump in at any time and give commentary that's fine too okay 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 so winston and stella meet over breakfast and they go to the pajama dance party and then they end up hooking up like uh, having sex but then winston gets yeah which i thought the sex scenes were very um romantic and kind of like stylized and kind of like really nice actually i thought that was a good thing the thing the movie did well i don't know yeah i want to have sex like that that's totally (laughs) (laughs) look look good to me they weren't very explicit but they were just very like sensual yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly yeah and the music was very like supporting that except for the one comic scene where like the music's all sexy and they're getting together and then winston drops an ice cube on her back and like do you (laughs) the music even cuts out and she's like, ah. I kind of hated that part. I was like, what's the big deal? So then Winston gets hired by the resort that he was trying to get hired by. And he has to work basically all the time. And then because like he's working, though, Stella assumes wrongly that he's just blowing her off. Like she says, well, oh, I guess he's like tired of me already. So in the movie and even in the book, I think it's like only made out like that they had sex like once and then they talked again, basically. But then she goes home. So she goes all, all the way back to San Francisco And like they've had sex once, but this becomes the basis of their big relationship, basically. So Stella goes home and I've got a clip of like Stella's return home and her sister's reaction to her news. So I'm going to play that really quick. Come, you're not acting pissed. Vanessa, it's just a thing. A stupid car, it can be fixed. Oh, uh uh-uh. Wait a minute, Stella. Uh -uh. That young boy must have put something on your ass. What happened to you? Nothing. Did you go down there and fall in love with a 20-year-old boy? Are you crazy? How could you stoop so low? Mm, and I want to know how low did you go? Look at you, you're glowing and shit. You know, you ain't got the sense God gave you. All I've got to say is thank God it was just a little fling and you're not seeing him again. And you should be ashamed of yourself for being so desperate. See, Angela, you need to take your pregnant behind home right now because you could spoil a wet dream. For your information, I'm not completely stupid, nor have I committed any crime. All I did was sleep with him. Damn. You get two very different reactions from the different sisters. Regina King's character, Vanessa, is like, go for it. I want the details. And uh, Suzanne Douglas' sister, Angela, is not happy at all. That's crazy. That reaction was just absurd. How could you stoop so low? Like, what? <laughs> Give me a break. But I think a lot of people would have that reaction, sadly. Oh, definitely. I know. I know. 
They're just people are square. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people are jealous. They want something, you know, that they, they, they don't have. And so mm-hmm. instead of realizing they're jealous, they decide to you know, shame you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So after that reaction from her sister, Stella shortly finds out that she's been let go from her job. Um, like they were restructuring or something. I don't know. And because she has suddenly time on her hands when her son Quincy asks to go to Jamaica uh, and Winston calls her at home, she decides, all right, we'll go back to Jamaica. So like almost as soon as she's gotten home, she packs up Quincy and his cousin Chantel and they all go to Jamaica together. Hey man, when you, when you got to itch, you got to scratch it. I, I see it. So not necessarily for like relationships, um, but a lot of that can happen here. I see so many times people will come down here on vacation. I mean, it happened to me. Um, I, I guess I wasn't really considering myself to be on a vacation. I was more on like an exploratory journey, but um, we'll come down on vacation and then up and and move or just keep coming back because whatever it is that they're experiencing um, here and maybe like in Jamaica, they want that again. They want that feeling. They want that experience. Mm. They want those, you know, whatever that, that high. And maybe it's just from being outside of their comfort zone. So I, I can definitely like, that is totally true to form is that she, an opportunity like, screw it. I'm out. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm going back to Jamaica where there's a hot guy there waiting for me. Cause I ain't no hot guys here, you know? Yeah. So I, I totally get that. And I think that was really like spot on of okay. what someone would actually do. Yeah. So they, they do go back to Jamaica and um, this time Winston meets her son Quincy and they fortunately get along really well. And they're having a great time, basically, until Winston decides to introduce Stella to his parents without telling her that that's where they're going. <laughs> that's terrible. That's a bad move. <laughs> yeah, especially because, like, she points out, like, I'm dressed like this. Like, guys never get this. Like, I swear. Like, right. it's like, you yeah. have to tell me, like, where we're going so I know what to put on. Like, <laughs> And especially if I'm going to meet somebody important, it's like, uh. <laughs> right, right. I'd like to comment on this scene and her yeah. parents' reaction to her. Dad seems okay. Uh, Mom obviously cuts into her and um, you know talks about her son being a boy. And isn't her mom or his mom like only a couple years older than Stella? It's if a year, that, yeah, a yeah. year, one year. One year. Okay, so two things there. For Winston to be like, I don't know any 40-year-old who looks the way you do. His <laughs> mom is beautiful. <laughs> he probably like, doesn't look at her like that. I he saw, probably doesn't see it. She many crickets. So she's beautiful. And so Winston's mom is like, my son's a boy. And Stella's like, he's not a boy. He's a man. True enough and all that. But I would think as a mom, from a mom's perspective, who in Stella's case has a son, I I can't believe she didn't put herself in Winston's mom's shoes. Like you're always going to see your kid as your your baby and and be hugely concerned about whoever they bring home um sure. whatever age or whatever. To be so, fair, I think the mom kind of backed her into a corner a little bit, though, and was like right up in her face right away. Yes, bit, so. yes, yes. Where, where um, I would maybe get defensive, too, and be like, uh. In that moment, yes. I think that I would have liked to have seen Stella like on her own or with 
her friend or her cool sister or whatever be like, yeah, I get that or something. Um, that scene with the parents was like, we just need her to be um, backed in a corner by his mom and then done. You know, like we didn't get to go back and like, I don't know, like kind of build that relationship and see some. I mean, maybe we can all speculate that that happens later on, but I think yeah, it it's not in the book them. either. The whole thing isn't in the book. So, yeah, but it just creates some like dramatic tension, basically. Yeah. yeah. But it just seems like a horrible situation and like the sort of thing that you would expect somebody who was a little younger and like maybe not to understand like, oh, this could happen. So we're still talking about this scene where Winston um, introduces Stella to his parents kind of unannounced. Again, this scene to me is just another example of how Winston is a unicorn because, of course, they go to this like beautiful, like former plantation house or something like in Jamaica. And he is, you know, obviously comes from some money and. I just feel like that's just like so it, it would have been so better portrayed if if, you know, he had taken her to like the house in the bush, you know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. where his like parents live. And I don't know. It just it just seems so unrealistic to me. Sure. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just coming from here where I mean, basically, like most people in the Caribbean islands are impoverished. Like that's just the reality of it. There's very few people who would live in a, a house like that 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 is native yeah yeah I'll make that clear um that is that is native to um that island i'm not to say that it doesn't exist but mm-hmm. again like it's just god he's a unicorn you know yeah. <laughs> like oh you found this guy like okay anyways yeah. that yeah. i just found it like really unbelievable so after they have they have a little fight about um you know meeting the parents and it being sprung on her and she calls Winston sort of immature for, for the way he handled it. And he gets his back up about that. He doesn't like being called immature. So they're in the middle of a fight when Stella gets a call from the hospital in New York where Delilah is dying of cancer. And she didn't even know that Delilah was sick. Delilah didn't tell her. And she so she immediately goes to New York to visit her in the hospital. It's interesting. Like In some ways, I think the scene really adds to the movie. The, the or having Delilah dying adds to the movie in some ways, but it also seems very tonally odd at the same time. Yeah. How did you guys yeah. feel about that storyline? It's not in the book. Yeah, it oh, felt tonally odd. <laughs> yeah, there, it felt like there was a lot of tonal things that were odd in this film. And I mean, I love the scene. Uh, again, Whoopi, and I love um, their friendship and that it goes so deep, but it was also just like, oh, okay. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. What I like about it though, is it provides kind of an impetus. And like, you hate to have somebody's death be the thing that provides somebody's impetus, but like at the same time, it, death is something that sometimes affects us and makes us take life more seriously and be like, Oh, I've got to seize the day. I've got to like go after what I want. Right. And she sings to Delilah in the hospital, row, row, row your boat. And she gets caught on the phrase life is but a dream. And then she ends up repeating that at the funeral and I think like that phrase is it's significant to the movie and how Stella makes her decisions going forward. Like this is yeah. just a, a fleeting moment and I've got to make the most of it essentially. 
I feel like Delilah's death was all just a setup for that scene at the funeral where mm-hmm. he like shows up in the back row. And I think that was like some character development on his part about how he really feels about Stella and like what kind of a person he is that he would show up for her in like this very yeah. vulnerable, horrible time in her life and how important that is in real relationships you know that you're not just there for like the good sexy romps in jamaica you're also there for like the really shitty times when you know horrible things happen in your life yeah definitely okay um how does that play out then in the book it doesn't at all so in the book um delilah is mentioned very briefly at the beginning of the book stella says i wish my friend with delilah was here but she went and died of cancer a few years ago so it's kind of like only the glimmering of a idea. Mm. There's no tragedy. Like the book would make a bad movie as is because it's very Uh internal monologue and very her just wrestling with herself. There's no external action to motivate things. So they kind of had to change it and they kind of had to add something. Mm. Mm. And I think they made wise choices. Yeah. Like that whole, like when they're reminiscing in the hospital too, about all those strange people they knew in college, like it wasn't actually that engaging to me, but it definitely felt like it built an authenticity to their friendship. I mean, that was a great scene. It was it was it was probably one of the funniest and saddest, of course, scenes in the movie um, because, you know, Whoopi just killed it with her. I'm like half the time I was watching. I'm like, are they ad libbing this? Like, is this part of the script? Because it was just so well done. It felt so organic just as like two people reminiscing about the funny stories they had, you know, in their youth. Yeah, it was it was, it was just testament of how, what great actresses um Angela Bassett and Whoopi Goldberg are you know so they Winston shows up at the funeral and then he ends up coming back to San Francisco to stay with Stella and I feel like she only agrees to it in this in the context of the movie because she's in this like sad and weakened state in a way Mm. like it's like which is kind of weird but like it works as a story as a story mover and then like they're dropping Chantel off at uh, Vanessa's house her mom and then the whole family's at a barbecue and they all come out from the backyard to, to swarm the car and be like, we got to meet this guy, much mm-hmm. to Stella's chagrin. And I, that was maybe my favorite scene, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Winston meets the family and Winston even meets the ex-husband. That was like, yeah, I thought that was awesome. That felt That felt so much more authentic to me than the meeting with like his family. Like that felt real. Like that's a real family. That's a real situation. Whereas like his family and maybe it does exist again. I just like, I wasn't buying it. Like, eh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So moving on to the next thing, um, Winston and Stella seem to be getting along pretty fine in at first in their relationship and Quincy likes Winston, et cetera. But then they start getting judgments from mainly from Angela and, and some of Angela's friends about the age difference, about a difference in taste. Like uh, Winston wants to go to this kind of like cheesy comedy where all Stella's friends are going to this like serious movie. And, <laughs> and, and then eventually they have, they run in, they get into a fight at a, at a fancy restaurant about who's going to pay. Like Winston really wants to pay. He wants to feel like, I don't know, the man, I don't know, <laughs> or, <laughs> or an equal and Stella's like, no, no, I've got this. And then they get into a whole argument kind of about each of their trigger points, basically, about the relationship. So Winston feels pretty rejected. But then there's a scene where they show Winston has made Stella a studio for furniture building because apparently her real passion is 
furniture building and she's buried that under like her securities job and it's like i think it's fine like it's totally realistic somebody could want to build furniture but in all these movies it really feels like the woman with the high-powered job secretly wants to do some like super niche like like crafty thing i swear or they want to bake cupcakes or something i don't yep um but it's really sweet that he's made this studio and they, they bond over that and then stella is offered her old job back at a like 275,000 a year, which in 1998 was even more, but she refused yeah. to take the job back. And she's like, I'm going to build this furniture or something. And, <laughs> and then Winston proposes to her and he gets upset when she doesn't like answer kind of within a week. Like he just wants, like it's a week later. She hasn't said anything about it. He's upset. They get in a big confrontation over it. So Winston decides He's going to go back to Jamaica, go back to school. Suddenly he wants to be a doctor again. And Stella initially is like, okay, you you go, we'll part ways. But then she goes to the airport to stop him and says that she will marry him. And have you ever considered Stanford? And that's the end of the plot. So what do you guys think about the problems that Stella and Winston run into? Like, do you think that they were pretty realistic? Like, uh... Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I've. I think you have to consider as well that Winston was moving into her life and that, you know, he's, that's a 40 year old woman's life and world. Like she's had all that time to build her wealth and like build her career and establish who she is. And I think that that was realistic of like how you would feel coming into that or how Winston would feel, you know, that he where where is his place like where is he in that Mm. in her world yeah well here's here's back to the plot like they go to this movie he wants to go to this funny cheesy one and all of stella's friends are at the i don't know intellectual one or whatever and so i guess what like problems not just with like life differences where stella is established. She has a, an 11 year old child. Um, she has a mortgage. They talk about that a lot, paying the mortgage and he trying to start his life. Is he going to go to med school? Is he going to be a chef? Is he going to, you know, he doesn't even know, let alone like how this relationship is going to go. So we don't even know like what he likes for real. You know, um, they've just threw out a few cliches. Like he wants to eat Cheetos and play video, you know, those typical things like I don't know for you Serena with your fella who's 10 years younger like are you so much concerned about like we like the same movies we don't like the same like you must have something in common right that supersedes the age you know what I mean like you Mm -hmm. there's got to be some kind of like intellectual mentality that that's why the age doesn't matter and maybe what you're trying to do with your job or whatever doesn't matter I think I think it does matter because I I don't know how my relationship with someone not as established would have worked out if I was established because I never really have been mm-hmm. and and that I think makes me feel more relatable to people who are younger than me because yeah. like I'm in that same place of like I don't know what I want to do when I grow up and like okay. I like this so mm-hmm. I'm going to go in this direction whereas I feel like a, and that obviously Stella and myself, Stella not being a real person, have completely different personalities, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> have completely different personalities. But just like her personality is so, like we said, established earlier, is type A. You know, like she's got all her ducks in a row. She's got everything you could possibly want. So it just doesn't really feel like it 
it would be comfortable uh-huh, uh-huh. to be like the younger man in that position hmm. because she is so structured, you know, and I get it. You know, she's trying these new things and she quit her job and, you know, Winston is kind of like a catalyst for her to explore these other things, but I don't necessarily think that that has longevity. Mm. Hmm. It also yeah. depends on what kind of power dynamic people want in a relationship. Cause I think some people like being the mentor or the teacher or the kind of one with the more power and other people like being the kind of more subordinate person in a relationship. And then a lot of people just want to be equals roughly, but like I've seen all three of these personality types, you know, in my own dating life or observing my friends, like you definitely see couples where one person always holds the upper hand or. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So in addition to the problems they have with each other in the relationship, they're also getting a lot of like social and peer pressure. And like in the movie, do you feel like it's more the social and peer pressure or like their own internal pressure that drives them apart for a while? Both. But I think a lot of it is social because I mean, the age difference, a lot of it is kind of a social construct that mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of like where you should be at a certain point in your life. And like, you know, at what age do you go to college? At what age do you get married? You know, like we kind of have that set. And I think yeah. that Stella has the most problem with that, right? And that being part of her type A personality. Like if we could see her being more like getting, you know, into this, you know, island life. I mean, like, yeah, mm-hmm. like we're easing mm-hmm. up a little bit then Mm -hmm. fine. But I just feel like her personality along with these social structures and yada, yada are going to, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but like the whole (laughs) time I'm watching this thing, I'm like, this isn't going to work out. I kind of wish that the whole plot was her moving to Jamaica. Like I wish that had been like part of it. Ah, And then I feel mm, like that would have been a way more interesting and more, um, organic because then Winston would not that he would have the upper hand, but that it would be like where he's from and what balance, he knows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there would have been like more balance and she would be kind of out of her element, but also she would be able to get away from her, you know, high power job and yeah. do something else. Totally be a furniture builder in Jamaica. Like that's a great sell. People would love that. I am with Serena on that, that there needed to be, you know, or maybe, and you know, we can speculate that and hope for that in the end. Like she sells that house, they yeah. downsize, you know what I mean? Like, cause they talk <laughs> about that mortgage mm-hmm. all the time, something that's theirs. So I want to skip over a lot of the topics we have, but I just wanted to point out that one thing I think the movie could have done a little more with, or even the book would, how it's also a cross-cultural relationship and it's not just a Mm -hmm. cross-age relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there just isn't a lot of acknowledgement of where Winston is coming from or. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which I think is why he doesn't, he see, he doesn't seem very substantial is because you don't really go into like, how did he grow up? Like what was his experiences? He's just kind of there. Yeah. Do you guys want to talk any more before we move on to the book in the movie and, and Terry McMillan? No, I know you want to get to the juicy part, the well, the real. I I think it's important. No, yeah, I it think it's important. important. I think we got to go over it. Yeah. yeah. So first, I want to. I, I already covered a little bit the differences between the book and the movie, so I'll see if there's anything I missed. Um, they're similar in some ways, like how the relationship starts and sex and sensuality are very important in both the book and the movie. Um, and the movie uses a lot of Stella's internal thoughts, like as kind of like narration which is always kind of an awkward device for me but I don't know how they could have avoided it in some cases 
Yeah, but there's a lot of differences. Like we said, Delilah's already dead in the book, so she's barely mentioned. She's not a factor. And totally, the book is just really like, I love you. I still love you. Come and be in. Like, There's no conflict, really. You don't get the conflict part. You get an internal conflict about, can I really go for this guy? Does he really like me? But like once they're together, it's like smooth sailing in the book. One thing the book did that I like, though, is that she actually does see more of Jamaica. So you get kind of a better picture of what it would be like to travel there. And she does things other than like lie around and swim and go to like one party. So that was nice. And the book was based on Terry McMillan's real life romance. And this is where things get surprising. I think probably a lot of people know about this because it was on Oprah, like Terry McMillan. It was, yeah. yeah. Did you know about it before we started this or? You know, I had vaguely remembered this, like as like we were, I was doing research and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember this happening. Okay. So we'll get into what it is then. So Stella or Terry McMillan had a real life relationship with a Jamaican born man named Jonathan Plummer. Um, They met in 1995. They ended up getting married. But then six years after they were married, uh, Jonathan Plummer came out as gay and they had a very messy divorce, like very messy. So I have a quote from Plummer. He told the San Francisco Chronicle, I was a 20 year old kid when I met her and I had no idea that she was anybody other than an attractive older woman. She is an extremely angry woman who is homophobic and is lashing out at me because I have learned I am gay. So like, I don't want to paint Terry McMillan as homophobic because like since they have kind of reconciled and like there was like messy divorce proceedings going on at the time I think since like he's kind of like backed off on calling her homophobic and like she certainly says she's not homophobic she has a lot of gay and lesbian friends but like yeah it got shit got real hey man this is the lady that wrote a book about a woman setting a guy's car on fire like (laughs) I could see her getting a little vindictive you know like yeah And she ended up suing Plummer, claiming that he married her for citizenship and that he and his lawyer were attempting to smear her with the accusation of homophobia. She later withdrew the suit before it went to trial and just decided to let go of that anger. The former couple appeared on Oprah twice. The first time was really tense. You can see this on YouTube. Um, But in 2010, she talked about letting go of her anger and they seemed to be on decent terms. After the divorce and after she got over that, she wrote the book Getting to Happy, which is a sequel to Waiting to Exhale, which I'd be curious to read because Waiting to Exhale has a lot of kind of like the car burning and other kind of bitterness in it. I wonder I wonder if her attitude and her perspective changed a great deal. And one thing that when I was researching this, I found out that Jamaica still has laws even today against homosexual sex between men specifically, not between women, but between men. And there are punishments of up to 10 years in jail and hard labor, which are still on the books. I don't think they're necessarily enforced that much, but the fact that they're there, I mean, that would really give you a prohibitive feeling about coming out as gay in Jamaica, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, an organization, Human Rights Watch, in their 2014 report, Not Safe at Home, they said that many LGBT Jamaicans live in constant fear. They are taunted, threatened fired from their jobs, thrown out of their homes, beaten, stoned, raped, and even killed. So they're working on trying to get these laws overturned right now. Um, We'll see what happens with that. But definitely that gives you a perspective on why Jonathan Plummer may not have felt comfortable coming out or may not have even thought of that as a possibility before marrying McMillan. 
Right. Even in that interview, that first Oprah one, she's like, didn't you know you were gay? Like, I have so many friends who said they knew when they were five. He's like, no. And you can you can see why that, you know, that potentially he didn't know or didn't entertain the possibility because of the culture of where he's from. Mm -hmm. So um, and I like that he even calls himself a 20 year old kid. So Mm -hmm. again, going to that point, it's like everybody's, you know maturity is so different and it it is definitely i mean even with in west indian culture like being a a gay man is is not accepted like here even here um being part of the u.s and other islands that's something that um i've noticed and run into and has a lot of uh stigma attached to it i have a couple friends here that that are gay and did grow up here and yeah they have (laughs) they have interesting stories that's for sure um but yeah i can see that i don't know that was not not that surprising but at the same time like divorce is hard you know and it it just sounded like she they were in a really difficult situation and that she was in the public eye you know and and that there was maybe it wouldn't have been such a big deal if there wasn't as much money at stake you know and so the, i'm sure that had a lot to do with it and the other thing is that she made this whole pr- cultural product like about how an older woman is having this amazing romance with a younger man and like it's already mm-hmm. considered by society somewhat embarrassing for an older woman to be with a younger man to think he would want mm-hmm. her and it's like having your worst self judgment or interfere turn into reality like, oh, yeah, didn't absolutely. Really oh, I was desperate, you know, like, so I can kind mm. of see from her perspective, like, that would be like, oh, my God, like, all my inner demons have come to home to roost, basically. But I wonder if it would have been like more, uh, not acceptable, but easier, a easier pill to swallow if he had just like left her for a younger woman. And had not like that would have been like seemed more normal than if he had like come out gay. So I, I can almost understand how she felt even more betrayed that like wait you didn't even like women yeah <laughs> you know um mm-hmm. and that's why i feel like she felt like he had swindled her yeah um i don't know well, I'm but glad who knows that, i'm glad they got past it and i'm glad she was me able too to i really am that's because that uh yeah it made me sad so i think we already kind of discussed do you think that stella and winston will last not terry mcmillan and jonathan Plummer, but stella and winston so we can just give a quick answer for that do you think they will last where do you think what would you think would happen I think no. I, I don't think long term. I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing. I think this is a really important relationship for both of them. Um, but I, I just don't really see, especially when he mentioned wanting to have kids. There's a scene at the end where he mentions having kids and she's just like, oh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I just thought, okay, like they're in two di- way two different places and they want two different things. Um, not to say that they don't love each other and that this relationship won't last for, you know, another five years, maybe, you know, but I long term, you know, like the rest of their lives or until, you know, death do you part, if you will. I don't I don't think that it's going to go that route. And I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, Serena, except I think I'd give them about two or three years. Yeah, but same, same. Yeah, same. It's not going <laughs> to last. And yeah, would, two or three years as well. It still could be a good relationship, though, potentially. Mm-hmm. And they could still both yeah. learn a lot from each other and, and evolve. 
So definitely, I think it's an important relationship. And I think that, you know, just like obviously in personal experiences that, you know, not every relationship ends with being long term, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't important and it didn't, it wasn't significant to your life and your growth, you know, and I think that's what this relationship is to Stella and Winston. Okay, so now we're getting to the last part of our show where we will do our double feature recommendations. And so my first double feature recommendation would just be to watch Waiting to Exhale for the obvious reasons. It's also by the same screenwriters and you've also got Angela Bassett in it. And I think it gives you a kind of a similar tone in some ways. My suggestion is Hello, I Must Be Going. It came out in 2012 and it stars Melanie Linsky and Blythe Danner. Melanie Linsky, the first thing I saw her in was Heavenly Creatures. And she's a great indie actress, I would say. It's streaming on Hulu. Um, it's about an older woman, a divorcee, who gets involved with a 19-year-old guy. And it's just got a nice uh, indie vibe. All right. Um, well, I suggest uh, Eat, Pray, Love. It stars Julia Roberts, and it's about a woman who goes on a pretty extensive journey uh, traveling around and has it kind of ends with a pretty significant love affair. And I thought there were some similarities. I like I like the idea of like an older woman, you know, going on a journey like Stella did. So I would suggest that one. Another suggestion I have, I haven't seen this movie, but I want to see it now. Um, I've heard it, I've seen it recommended a lot of places is Brown Sugar with Tay Diggs and it's Tay Diggs in another rom-com. And like, I just would like to see more of his work and it's on a lot of lists of best rom-coms. So, yeah. I thought of Under the Tuscan Sun. Again, it has like a female protagonist, Diane Lane. Again, another attractive older woman, my fave, that goes on an exploratory journey to Tuscany. And uh, I like I like the the female traveling, maybe because I, I feel like that's, yeah. that's me. <laughs> but that's definitely uh, what I would suggest. And going along with a similar vibe, I would also think of E tu mama tambien. Because you've got an older woman and two younger men. And there's yeah. also dramatic elements involved. Similarly. That is one hot movie. Oh, yeah, man. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, a great movie. One. People should see it. So, And Serena, you get to go last. Oh, yeah. Well, I had... Um... It just came to mind when we were talking about like older uh, women, younger men in films. Have you guys seen the movie Prime? It has Meryl Streep and Uma Thurman. I've heard of in it. it. I haven't seen it. And it is it is very comedic. And it actually Meryl Streep is her uh, therapist, and she's telling her therapist about like this man that she's. And I'm not giving any spoilers away. Like it's it's pretty obvious. Um, this man that she's dated, this young man, and how exciting it is, and how great it is. And then the Meryl Streep, the therapist, finds out that it's actually her like 24 year old son. Um, <laughs> and it's it's actually really funny. And I think the chemistry. I don't know. I cannot recall what the the actor's name in it, but the chemistry between Uma Thurman and the the actor in it, the the love the young love interest, is like really hot. Oh. So um, I remember there were some like really good scenes in there and you're like, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that came to mind. So check that out. Nice. All right. Well, we've gone really long on, on our show today, but we've had a great time. Serena, I really enjoyed having you on the show. I hope you will come back. I had a great time. Thank you guys. And some of the movies that will be coming up 
our Roman holiday, Crazy Rich Asians, and many more. So keep your eyes out for that. And we hope you enjoyed the show today and talk to you next time. Thank you.